we're all a species on this planet. We're all imperfect humans trying to do our best. And I think it doesn't have to be an all or nothing thing. Like I think if, if people ate 95% vegan, it'd be a whole pile better than if, you know, uh, where we're currently at. So I think it's, it's about baby steps and, and it's to try to not be, in, in my perspective, to be less judgment, judgmental. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the PBN Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Lockie. This week's episode, I'm really excited to introduce you to Dave and Steve Flynn, also known as the Happy Pair. These boys are twins, and I spent about four or five days up there getting to know their families, swimming in the Irish Sea with them, eating vegan food, chilling out in their cafe, doing yoga, and also spending some time in their wonderful factory uh, place where they make their products called Pearville. They have built an incredible and thriving business, and it was a real joy and pleasure to spend time with them. I also spent some time with them as individuals as well, and really got to know the nuances and differences as of them as people as individuals Uh, because people always sort of look at twins and assume they're going to be very similar but actually they're so different Um, and they're just so generous and kind and funny and yeah I had a really really fantastic time and and came home feeling very nourished and uh, uplifted Um, the episode is about an hour long I'm really sorry about the audio I had a lot of trouble with the microphones Uh, we will be getting new microphones on our podcast so We shouldn't have any issues in the future, but it was a really interesting and lively discussion. We touched on subjects, controversial, some might say, um, but it's good to talk about these things. Uh, Certainly good to be honest and open about these things. So let's get to the episode. So before we talk about all the adventures that that you're currently experiencing in your life today, let's talk about your childhood and your life here in Ireland and where it all began. Talk us through kind of the culture that you grew up in, the food culture and the kind of spiritual culture. Were you religious families or not? You know, tell us about how your lives began in Ireland. We, we were born in Calgary, Canada, because uh, mom and dad, when they finished university, there, were, there weren't many, very many jobs in Ireland. So they moved off to Canada to get work and five, roll on. They lived there for five years and then they were born. And mom always said one of the, the worst days in her life and best days of her life was the day she found out she was pregnant with twins. <laughs> Um, and when we were born, they wanted to raise us Irish, like in Ireland. Um, so they moved back home. Um, Ireland is quite a Catholic country. We were kind of raised Catholic, made go to mass. Did, weren't really that into mass. Typically, we were kind of, we'd eat a lot of breakfast cereal and friends used to call us cereal killers because we <laughs> ate so much cereal. But because we'd eat so much cereal, typically we'd at mass, we'd be a bit like a brass band mm. farting away. Mm. And uh, most of my ass would be kept giggling away and, and that type of thing. It was great crack. But. but but I guess we grew up in a total male-centric environment in that uh, we're a family of four boys mm. and we we went Catholic Ireland. Where know. are you boys on the scale of uh, age? We're, we're top of the pile. Right, we were the okay. first ones that came out. And uh, we've got three brothers and we went to all boys schools and we played a lot of rugby and whatnot. So we grew up in a very male-dominant culture. So mm. it was definitely, meat was prized, like barbecue was as good as it got. As soon as we were allowed to drink beer, bring tins of beer, like age 16 or 15, we were often in the bushes doing that every Friday night or Saturday night. So that was the kind of pervading culture. It was very male-centric, alpha, that type of upbringing. We played a lot of... We played a huge amount of rugby together. Mm-hmm. So again, it kind of accentuated this mm-hmm. maleness and rawr, fight, hunt, yeah. hunt, hunt. Eat lots of yeah. meat. Yes, yeah, so it was very male in terms of alcohol, meat, you know, meat and two veg and less of the veg, please, mm. and more ketchup on mm-hmm. top. And that, that was the kind of food culture. Mm. And um, I guess we were, being identical twins, we were hyper-competitive. So we were we were kind of overachievers because we were, we you know, we came out of the womb looking for mom's love mm-hmm. and attention. And mm. every time we're looking for people's love and attention. So we're really competitive. So mm. 
being hyper competitive, we were kind of overachievers in that we were very, we were good at sport. We were pretty good at school. We were good at, you know, the sport when we were mm-hmm. teenagers was chasing mm. girls because coming from an old boys school. So you chasing pushed girls e- or boys. Do you pushed each other a lot? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like supported and also pushed. I remember yeah. age twelve was it. When I played you in the final, the Rory Fawcett, the Rory, the Rory Fawcett Cups. I was the head of like this tennis thing competition, and I remember that before the match, both of us broke down crying because mm. neither of us wanted to win and mm. neither of us wanted to lose. Mm. Like we were like that. But I guess as we got older, we got more comfortable with mm-hmm. competition and we hit the more rider end. We both will compete to the death. We didn't really care if we won, but we still like literally semi die trying to win mm. in sports. It was great fun. So obviously, growing up as twins, what was that like growing up? I mean, obviously, you don't know anything else, so it's quite a difficult question to answer, I suppose. But did you spend a lot of time together all the time? Were you always kind of with each other? And yeah, we did. We did. We did total blurred identity. Yeah. So it was always uh, Flynn twins. Which one are you? Are you yeah. Dave or Steve? Or you yeah. know, so it was a total blurred identity that we we had the same friends. We played the same yeah. position in sport. Yeah. We um, sat beside each other in school. We, we shared subjects. We shared girlfriends. No, we didn't. That was a joke. <laughs> um, but we, you know, we shared a huge amount of stuff, and we yeah. had a blurred identity. So it was definitely we went. Did you pretend to a wardrobe until we were like twenty? Yeah. So, so it really was the case. You know that expression there: first up, best dressed. Like that was the literal reality. Did of you our pretend business. to be each other ever? Yeah, oh, all the time. Lots really? of times. Yeah, yeah, of course. Taking the fall for each other's uh, mischief. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I walked up the road holding his girlfriend's hand one day because she got it wrong. So, yeah. And went to kiss her, but then he showed up. <laughs> <laughs> Must be such a surreal experience. I, was, I can't remember one of you I was telling about how I have this obsession with doppelgangers, like people who look like each other. And I've got a whole album on my Facebook of faces that kind of are similar and kind of match. Because I find this idea of like two people who look the same, who are genetically identical, because twins are really clones you're like clones of each other but you're your own personalities with your own individual kind of traits and qualities and the moment that you're born that as soon as you kind of come into contact with the universe you become a unique identity but there is this kind of magical kind of connection between the two of you when I was watching you on stage of evolution like you'll start one of you you'll start the sentence and then you'll finish it and then you'll kind of like carry on and there's like this telepathy of sorts isn't there yeah computing yeah, you know, yeah, like, uh, but but there is kind of this as bizarre as it as it kind of sounds. There is kind of telepath- telepathic quality mm. in that. Like to give an example, I remember <laughs> when we came back away from traveling, um, a lot of our old friends that we grew up with and played a lot of rugby with and used to get drunk with and chase women, kind of didn't want to be our mates because we had suddenly become vegan and we were into talking about lentils and swimming in the sea and we were stinking hippies. So they, they didn't really want to be our mates. So we had to get new mates. So we became friends with a lot of Spanish people because mm. um, they were transient and they didn't really kind of judge us and put us in some sort of a box. Yeah. And David just come back from Central America where he had spent kind of six months or a year just learning Spanish. So he was fluent at Spanish and I didn't have a word. I knew hola. Mm. Um, but over the next period of about, I'd say it was a month or two, I kind of almost like downloaded Spanish off Dave and I wow. was fluent within about a month That's too. Amazing. So it was, it was bizarre, but it yeah. was just an example of, I guess, twins and mm-hmm. the ability to share. Quantum entanglement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Twin entanglement. Yeah. yeah. Twanglement. Twanglement. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> you need to make that a thing. <laughs> and so like, obviously as you grew, you, you weren't always together and the times that you kind of like, were you separate a lot throughout your life? Because obviously now your whole business and life is entangled, entwangled. Um, but were there like long distant times where you're separate from each other? No, up till we were like 21, mm. I, I can't even think of a night that we would have been apart. Wow. Probably would have been. Maybe if you went off and 
Jim or something. But yeah. Oh yeah, up to up to well, up till probably seventeen, there probably wouldn't have been a nice, mm-hmm. you know, unless uh, except I think when we were sixteen, I remember mom made us mm-hmm. go to they put us in separate French. We went away to France for three months mm-hmm. each to learn French, mm-hmm. and we were both put in separate schools. So that would have been the only time really mm-hmm. I can imagine. And did it? What did it feel like being away from each other? Ah, oh, just lonely and weird and yeah. strange, and you know. Yeah. But like you tough. kept looking for your kind of other arm and uh-huh. like, where's my arm it's gone yeah. day, day. It's, it's fascinating <laughs> but when you so when you you went off traveling and you you acquired all this new knowledge about life and food and everything you came back and people um treated you differently how did that feel kind of coming back and just suddenly would did people kind of really like ostracize you and push you um, away um yeah, yeah just to give a context like yeah. so we we ended up after school we ended mm. up going studying business mm. and at the time you know we were we were we were totally into money you know mm. we were we were playing semi-pro rugby we were doing male modeling we mm. were you know we were we were good in golf and mm. all sorts of things so we were really overachievers mm. and at the time we were wearing we had we had short black and sides hair we had we used to wear blue ralph wrench shirts we wore levi jeans mm. ralph uh, reebok classic shoes mm. and we were like very straight laced mm. and we were you know mom and dad's friends would have gone oh geez they're great lads they're really mm. going places mm-hmm. oh they'll probably be stockbrokers they get a good job in a bank or something you know and that was the kind of yeah. perception and we came back kind of went away traveling we'd lost faith in kind of money as mm. god and whatnot mm-hmm. and we came back four years later with this and we wanted like age 24 mm. and we started a vegetable shop mm-hmm. And everything had kind of shifted. We had long top knots. We had beards. We used to wear polyester shirts. Steve used to paint his fingernails. We used to wear trinkets. <laughs> we were vegan. We did yoga. We didn't go near rugby. Mm-hmm. We were all spiritual. Mm-hmm. We did meditation. We'd given up drinking alcohol. So even that was probably the pinnacle. What caused that shift? I think it was more when we finished college, as Dave mentioned, mm-hmm. we kind of bought into this mm-hmm. American dream, the idea that mm-hmm. money makes you happy. And for whatever reason, there was still this kind of discontent in me that I didn't mm-hmm. feel like... I feel like there's more to life. Mm. And I remember saying to Dave one December, it was like, I'm going to leave and I'm buying a one-way ticket to Canada because mm. we have Canadian passports. And I was like, I'm not going to come back until I'm happy and I mm-hmm. know what I'm interested in. So mm. I went away traveling. And when we went traveling, we kind of spent a period of time ex- testing our social conditioning. Mm-hmm. So experimenting with life, pushing mm. the boundaries of mm-hmm. our comfort zone to go, oh, well, actually, I quite like being a hippie. Actually, mm. I feel quite comfortable. Or mm-hmm. I quite like going to meditation centers. Or I quite like organic farms. Or where where am I most comfortable feeling more like me? Yeah, I, th- I think exactly what Steve just said. You were said. nourishing the inside rather than focusing on the outside, weren't you? I think it was really trying to find yeah. like find out when we f- most felt ourselves, mm. most felt comfortable. And I think that being an identical twin, mm. we had inherent support. Mm-hmm. So I can't imagine what it's like as an individual to go outside of your own social conditioning mm. and go on this journey of self-discovery mm-hmm. or exploring what feels true to you. But as a twin, it was a lot easier because you always had support. Mm. No matter how weird one of us got, the other mm-hmm. one going, yeah, you're grand. So if anyone mm. challenged us, there would be two of us against one. So mm. typically we were... A, dom- a force you know so i think it gave us more validation to go explore more and look under more rocks and be a bit more curious and you guys have been involved i've only been vegan six years but you guys are doing it way long before it was yeah, cool we've kind of been doing 17 yeah 18 and, years now, and so how then. did you just because obviously you know all the way back then it wasn't that mainstream in fact it wasn't mainstream at all how did you even he- where did you hear or see the word vegan like how did it come uh, into your i don't, I don't even think it was the word vegan i think right. it was more like at the time we were both, we had kind of started being curious about spirituality. Mm. And I remember like it was back in 2001. So there was no, the internet really wasn't there. We didn't mm. have mobile phones. Mm. So it was, it was books. And I remember I went away, I went to go be a pro golfer, mm. went to South Africa. Mm. And uh, I remember my auntie gave me a book. It was some like book about raw food or something. And I remember reading it and kind of going, wow, this thing's curious. And I think the seed had been planted before mm. then, but mm. it was the first time I'd lived away from home and I didn't want to cook meat. It just mm. felt wrong. I didn't want to buy meat. I don't mm. know why, but I I think 
and I wanted to validate it myself and explore this idea myself. So you, it sounds like you were both exploring compassion. I mean, what are your thoughts? Do you think like human beings are born with this compassionate nature within us, or do you think we have to be taught it, or we have to learn it? Yeah, absolutely. I think we're like obviously I'm an ignorant human here, mm. doing my best, and mm. these are my beliefs. But I think having three kids myself, they're innately compassionate mm. little beings, mm. and. Um, and environment can support it or not support it. And mm. I guess in this case, we were in a new environment, so we had an ability to kind of, mm. I guess, reconsider what social conditioning made mm. most sense to us. So I kind of, I bumped into this this guy from Australia. His name was Adrian, and he was like a snowboarder mm-hmm. and a cool dude. And mm. he was cooking a vegetarian soup. And I was like, wow, and we got talking. And he told me he was a vegetarian. And, and up until that point, I had never met a man that was a vegetarian. I mm. didn't know men could be vegetarian. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was a big deal. And um, I tried his soup and I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. And I asked, could I eat what he did for the for the week? So I, I ate it and I had a windy week. And at the end of the week, I called Dave up and he, he had done the same thing. So again, that was the twin tanglement or the mm-hmm. twanglement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but with but, the kind of connection between like meat eating masculinity and kind of Irish culture, as you just pointed out, like you, you didn't even know anyone who... Who, in the, any males in your kind of like life who didn't eat meat and the idea of a man not eating meat was so alien like why do you think that is like why do you think it's so ingrained in in our cultures um i think it's back to like males and alphas and all of that kind of principle that and it being entangled with dominant and being able to dominate and i think those are kind of cultural stereotypes and that's kind of we're all conditioned with all these from a young age mm. and particularly being coming like we almost grew up with a pack of wolves in terms mm. of like male mm. male alpha <laughs> you know there was so much masculinity that uh like it, we were we were the best drinker you know we were really mm. dominant in terms like male we were totally into masculinity mm. and i think for us it was really just uh, it started with a spiritual being curious of spirituality and starting reading a few books i remember reading be here now by ram das like age 20 or isn't something. it isn't it interesting though how like the more you get involved in that questioning that part of yourself kind of feeding that compassionate nature of yourself the less you want to consume meat the less you want to eat animals and be a part of violence towards others anyone very humans true. or animals and how that part of you begins to shift and change yeah i think it's amazing i i, I guess everyone approaches it from different mm. points of view some mm. people come to their veganism or mm. vegetarian or whatever way it is or compa- more compassionate existence mm. they come to it from a different point of view but i guess this was our experience mm. in that true traveling mm. being in an environment where we were more open and true starting i remember meeting someone again when i was in canada that was meditating and i didn't know what the hell meditation was what do you do like is it, do you take a drug what's meditation you know <laughs> this was back tw- almost 20 years ago and i was doing a bit of meditation and then uh, this place where i was staying in it was called whistler and it was a cool mountain ski resort and loads Been to of whistler yeah and there was it's loads cool. of parties and i was living there so it was like parties and beautiful people everywhere and the previous me would have been you know alpha out there mm. drinking the most finding the most beautiful women yeah let's mm. go dominate mm. uh, but then for whatever reason i i wanted to go down to the library and mm. read vegetarian cookbooks mm-hmm. I, i'd met other kind of people that were geeks mm. like that i would have called geeks and i probably would have ostracized or slagged mm. i became friends with them and we used to yeah. cook vegetarian and vegan dinners and wow. sit and eat them and yeah. that was my social it, life yeah. and i got into meditation so yeah. for whatever reason there was a huge shift in 
yeah. lifestyle. It is interesting. I actually, a few years ago, had a really interesting conversation with Timothy Sheaf, actually, about this, about how, you know, when you stop eating animals and you stop consuming animals and you kind of change the way you view other living beings and even other people, a part of you changes, like an ego part of you changes. And you actually start to lose the need to compete and that goes on on, a, on an emotional level across your entire life. You don't ever feel, you stop to start to you stop feeling like you need to prove yourself to people. And it's really interesting that he said he said this to me, and it's something that's always stuck with me because he was a very competitive person, and it was around a time where he stopped competing uh, in the different sports that he did, and he, he was getting really into his veganism and become really really passionate about it. And it's really interesting how ego, which we all possess, you know, it's it's often thought that men have bigger egos than women, you know. Uh, and, and I always question why is that? And it's to do with the need to, to dominate, like what you talked about. Mm. And when you have this like desperate need to dominate or be in control of, you want to go out and kill and eat and consume and, and just chase, right? But when you learn to kind of like calm the voice within with meditation, with, you know, traveling, with seeing the world, that kind of like wild spirit within you becomes calm. And it's so incredible how you shift as a person inside. And, you know, what we eat, we are what we eat. And it's a huge part of that. So it's very interesting how you can go from being one person and then you're somebody else. But yeah, yeah I think the spiritual journey for us was the big catalyst. Did you become atheists or did you? Because um, you grew up Catholic, right? I don't think we came anything. Like, I don't think we ever identified Agnostic, as being maybe. any. Like, you know, we mom used to make us go to mass every yeah. now and again. And it was really, we were just going because we wanted to please mom. Yeah. But we got really, I remember, just to give a couple of little stories, anecdotal stories, we, I remember dad had told us, um, oh, lads, this fellow I went to see, his name was Tony Robbins, you gotta go do it, you gotta go do it. <laughs> so I remember we, we were, I was traveling around North America at the time, and Dave was in South Africa, and whatever reason, we managed to kind of get together enough money, and we both went to see Tony Robbins in New York for, maybe it was five yeah, maybe it was for five days or something. And it was great show. It was great crack. It was like, wow, this is amazing. Yeah. And then the week after, we went to a month-long Vipassana Center and meditated. So it was 12 Silence hours a day, for, no for talking. I did it for 10 days. Wow. Then Dave did it for 10 days. And then I served for three weeks afterwards. So What was that like for, for you? Because you're... you're you know, you both like to talk. So like, yeah, how was that being silent for was, so long? The, the first thing was that it was amazing, the stark contrast mm. between like Tony Robbins where you can do it, you can be anything you want. And then the meditation center was more about you are everything except mm. the moment, except mm. it. So the meditation center much more resonated with us and mm. it felt more like, wow, this is deep and profound mm. and I'm reaching mm. new levels of consciousness within mm. myself or awareness. And I think that was that was a huge shift and that was... After that, we started meditating two hours a day and we really wow. got into it for a number of years. We were, and I kind of often dreamt, I think I'm going to go off and just commit myself to meditation. This is like, and like become a monk at the time. I was really, I'd really bought into like, this was, this is, this is where true mm. joy and that, but I, I guess over a period of time, we kind of felt like we felt so much more ourselves we wanted to share with the world mm. and kind of use business as a vehicle for social change. It is a tool, meditation, and I think like, it can be something that you can incorporate into your life or you can use it for an extended period to change and shift a part of you. You know, you obviously both had a very wild nature, a bit like two wild horses running free. Definitely. Um, and then you travel, yeah, you traveled the world and you, you got what you needed from the world and it kind of, you came back to your home, hometown, your home yeah, city, yeah, hometown, your, home, your yeah. hometown, uh, different people. And that's what's incredible about being human beings is that we're changing every single moment, every single second. Cells are, you know, dying and being reborn 
parts of us are dying and being reborn. Every person that we meet changes us in some little way, energetically. We're always changing and shifting. And that's what's so incredible about the whole vegan movement and the plant-based movement is that for most of human history, we've lived and consumed in a certain way. And then all of a sudden, we've realized that that way isn't exactly in alignment with who we are as people. Um, going back to sort of animals and, and, and our relationships with them, where did animals feature in your lives as children? And did you have dogs and cats? Uh, and yeah, we always had dogs. And yeah. even Stephen, I remember, tamed three wild cats from the end of the garden. So wow. we, were, we were always around animals. We didn't grow up in a farm or anything, but yeah. we like... But what was but your attitude to, like, how did you feel about animals in your wild phase? Like, I used to love, but like, yeah. uh, as Dave mentioned, I tamed, <coughs> excuse me, I tamed three wild cats that mm. were born down the end of the garden. Mm. I used to love them and lo- mm. love looking after them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but there was no correlation ever between animals and food. Like, right. like the really complete ignorance, mm. like two like jacked up alphas running around, never saw the idea that, it, oh, a pig and, mm. and pork, pork, you know, yeah. never made that kind of link really. Do you, you know? remember that? I the, didn't want to, was quite happy. Do you remember ignorance. when you did make the connection? Like, did you? Um, did you I think it was probably when we had finished school after yeah. that and kind of in university and you mm. started kind of being a little bit, reading a little more stuff mm. and questioning things a bit more but i can't think of exactly where it mm. kind of came from it's it a slow and gradual process yeah i think it? slow and gradual process an awakening yeah i yeah. think a slow little yeah. awakening and then yeah. probably was more a questioning starting to actually beginning to question the social conditionings that we've been fed all our lives and actually to go actually what bits make most sense to me and make me feel more myself as mm. opposed to what i'm told to be and and I think uh, I think it wasn't necessarily about the animals. Like when we f- both went to it, it was both in search of health mm. because we thought the more healthy we were, the more like curious about this body and how you make it function better and how you make it more connected to itself and mm. feel more in alignment and have more energy and be a better human, more compassionate human. So I think that was the initial journey. It was more about curiosity in terms of self-interest, in terms of health. And that was the whole journey that catalyzed us changing mm. our diets. Mm. And through that journey, I guess we realized, oh my God, this is like a crossroads of so many different things. Mm-hmm. This isn't just about, you know, self-interest. There's a much mm. bigger story at play. Yeah, here. changing and shifting your, your ego, as I was saying. But with, with the kind of our relationships with animals and how we see and view them as individuals now. And, and you know, vegans, our kind of focus as a movement is is to help people understand that, you know, to live and thrive as people we don't need to kill and that it doesn't, it's not necessary, especially when we don't need to. Like we've got supermarkets and we've got, you know, shops overflowing with products that we can thrive on. But when it comes to kind of advocating this message, there's a real like dichotomy in how people talk about it. There's the really angry, passionate people who sit on street corners screaming, meat is murder. There's the, you know, the, the people who work in the media who might write articles and content and try and like kind of direct people's attention from an educational perspective. And there's the people like you guys who focus on food. You know, your activism is your food. You show people what's possible with vegan food, with plant-based and vegan food and kind of, you know, help people make better food choices. What do you think is like the main barrier to entry for getting people into our lifestyle? Like what do you think is holding back the growth of the movement generally? I think it can be, um, I think what you said was brilliant. I think it can be quite exclusive as part of the thing. It's like it's like us versus them or mm. we're right or you're right. This, this type of idea as mm. opposed to going, we're all a species on this planet. We're all imperfect humans trying to do our best. And I think 
it doesn't have to be an all or nothing thing like i think if if people ate 95 percent vegan it'd be a whole pile better than if you know uh, where we're currently at so i think it's it's about baby steps and, and it's to try to not be in in my perspective to be less judgment judgmental of the others which mm. is easy for me to say but mm. often vegans like uh, and i know when we were maybe three four years into eating a vegan diet we were very judgmental of our parents of mm. our friends even people who'd come to our health courses we were judging them going like no, it's like you got to be a hundred percent. Like you got to be like me. Oh well, okay. So you guys idea. went through that phase. Yeah, and it, well, was, okay. it was it was only when you start to come out the other side, you kind of realise, wow, well, these people aren't really liking me when I behave like this, mm. and I'm kind of making. I'm not really. Um, inc- and, and I think realising that it was the ego, like not saying we've overcome our egos in any sense, mm. but just the, like a sense of wanting to be right in a different mm. way, and mm-hmm. kind of realising that, geez, I'm not being at the very root. Mm. Veganism is about compassion, and we were being the antithesis mm. of compassionate to the people. So I think realizing that being kind to ourselves first mm. and foremost and then to other people is and meeting everyone where we're at we're not better than anyone else mm-hmm. like genuinely and the vegan movement is an incredibly uh, passionate group of people who often will uh, give you their opinion whether you like it or not um yeah. you guys have a, a, a business and you're, you're doing your best with with what you can influencing people in a really really incredible and positive way but there are always elements uh, to what you're doing that people are not happy about obviously you guys have talked about this before you know some of your cafes do serve animal products and there are people who in the vegan demi monde as we call it <laughs> who demi-monde. yeah who have have a problem with that and and some people say you know is it fair that you are passionate vegans yet you still sell animal products but there is a strategy and a thought to it so you're not just sort of mindlessly i don't want to put words in your mouth but you're not mindlessly selling animal products there is a direction to what you're doing do you want to talk a little bit about yeah, about um, that like i guess it, it comes back to the premise that life isn't perfect and no yeah. one is perfect yeah. and i think ultimately we're all as Stephen said imperfect humans mm. fumbling along doing mm. our best mm. and i think when we started our first cafe 14 years ago nearly 15 years ago um like there was no way we would have labeled it even vegetarian sure. even though it was vegetarian because the business just wouldn't have existed mm. particularly in a small little town mm. in ireland mm-hmm. um so we we just called it a healthy healthy food healthy mm. food cafe you know and and it just happened to be vegetarian and mostly vegan you know and um and i guess we've kind of kept that going that because when people had come in at like 95 percent, 98 percent of the customers were certainly not mm. vegan not mm-hmm. to mind vegetarian mm. so they could see, oh, lasagna, oh, cool, a lot of lasagna. And if it was nice and cheesy, they'd go, mm-hmm. geez, that was lovely, mm-hmm. wow. And and if they could have a normal cappuccino, like it being normal, one with cow's milk, I think they felt a certain amount of acceptance and not feeling judged so mm-hmm. that people could come in. Like t- like nowadays, it's catalyzed by typically the vegan in the group or the mm-hmm. celiac or the gluten-free mm-hmm. person, and they will dictate where, where the family goes. And there's something for everyone. Like, mm-hmm. And we don't serve meat or we don't serve fish, but there's one dish that has cheese in it and people can get their coffees in our main cafe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's been a conscious decision. Like we could become quite exclusive, but ultimately we want to be inclusive, mm. but within the constraint that at the very least we're going to be vegetarian mm-hmm. and most of what we sell, like 95% plus mm-hmm. is vegan mm. and us ourselves live a vegan diet mm-hmm. and that's what I eat, mm. but I'm imperfect too mm-hmm. and I'm doing my best and we found with using, I think it was you coined the phrase, attractivism, mm. Like including people and if someone can come in who wouldn't normally eat a vegetarian meal and just see something that they'd recognize oh geez great i'll have that one mm. and they eat and it goes lovely and they eat way more veg than they normally mm. would mm. and they're suddenly feeling oh this food's nice mm. and before you know it they're coming in every day and they start becoming friends with mm. them and they suddenly start becoming healthier and i think that's in our experience to be a lot more positive and we've had a lot more positive impact on our community 
as opposed to if we were righteous vegans telling everyone they had to be vegan. And I think I think a couple of points on that is one, I think acceptance. Like mm. nowadays, I think the biggest cause of disease and mm. disjoint among human mm-hmm. society is the lack of acceptance, mm-hmm. the lack of and people feeling isolated and lonely and depression, and therefore there's against and separateness. And I think if you can accept people where they're at, they're much more likely to be open mm-hmm. towards mm. positive change. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think the other point I was going to say there was that there's no vegan out there that's 100% perfect. Like there really isn't because mm. if you've eaten in a restaurant, you cannot 100% guarantee that that chef didn't touch chicken or didn't mm. touch something before he put it in your plate. Like mm. there's probably traces somewhere, mm. you know, and you swallowed a fly or this, like we're all imperfect mm. doing our very best. But, but the big question which a lot of vegans like to focus on is it's all about intent. So if you go and buy a steak, you're intentionally investing in an industry which abuses animals or exploits animals whereas if you buy bread where some bees died or some birds died you know you got to survive as a human you're not intentionally being a part of something that's directly killing animals it's indirect so i think it's that tension between direct and indirect now with regards to your business and the and the eggs and the cheat and the milk um 14 years on you know vegan movement is or the plant-based movement is thriving um i'm hoping that a a lot more people that come into your cafe are vegan or at least plant curious as we like to say (laughs) what do you think would be the impact of just removing those products like the eggs and the milk and the cheese and not saying anything not telling anyone if people asked for it you just simply said we don't serve it anymore what do you think like first financially and secondly like culturally like how would it affect the yeah, kind we've, of mood. we've done that with a number of our products already yeah, yeah. Um, one of our best-selling products that we've ever had yeah we just changed to turn it to be vegan yeah and we didn't tell anyone yeah and there's been no complaints because that's the interesting psychology is that people like impossible burger just did it in the u.s where they served the impossible burger at burger king and they didn't tell people that it was an impossible burger which is obviously fully plant-based mm. they interviewed people at the end and people did not believe that it was made from plants they couldn't believe it because it tastes the same it looks the same and it's the same price what's the difference brilliant you know Huge. so i'm just so, so on from a financial perspective so what do you think would happen if you removed the, the milk and the, the eggs there'd be an impact in some asp- aspects mm. like as mm. our first cafe and two of our cafes mm. actually are in greystones which mm. is a, a, a reasonably small town which is where we 20, are now right? people yeah, yeah we're yeah. just outside of greystones yeah. now and um i guess we've been in business there 14 or 15 years now and we've become quite well known in the town for what we do and we make a strong effort to try to include as much of the community as possible mm-hmm. Because um, ultimately, if we do want to continue to exist within capitalism, we have mm. to continue to make a profit or at mm. least be able to pay all our mm. bills. Mm. And we want to really include as much of our community as possible. And mm. in Greystones, there's a certain amount of vegans, mm-hmm. but most people aren't vegan. Mm. And what we want to do is we want to try to encourage as many people to eat a whole food plant-based diet. And mm. if they want to be vegan, great. And if they don't want to be vegan, great too. Mm. And I think I think that uh, like the basis of community, that if you support them, they'll support you. Mm. And if you don't judge them, and kind of like we people already know we don't sell meat or fish yeah or, sure uh, you know but i'm saying like no i'm just saying remove the eggs and the, and the milk not say anything what would would people notice Do, is it that much of your business that people um, would I, really notice i don't know but it's more the underlying message that if we turn the business completely 100 percent vegan like online everything is vegan mm. but i know if we change the physical cafes to 100 percent mm. vegan you don't have to say anything you don't even have to yeah. like with your product like I'm i just, just think that theoretically we, like what do you think would happen do you think um, people would like theoretically would they protest outside <laughs> bring no. back the eggs <laughs> no not in any sense but it just might become a bit more righteous that mm. vegan is the way okay and 
sign your vegan doctrine before you come in the door mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it might become a little more fundamentalist like that might be the mm. the thing that oh no you gotta be vegan to be there or whatever so you think that if you made that change and then people started to talk about it they may start feeling like you guys were pushing your lifestyle on the community i guess they probably already feel it mm. you know in that we've been at it a long time and it's 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 not everyone's cup of tea i'm mm. sure there's half that are into it and mm-hmm. half that aren't into mm. it so the, like you've got a fair point maybe if we did change it completely it's a gradual thing and as i was saying earlier if you did this 14 years ago it would never have worked but now since you've been doing doing bless you been doing it for so long you have influence and people listen to you um but it's all psychology it's all about how something is placed if you're in the street and you were serving burgers on the street and you went up to people in, a, in an irish village in the middle of nowhere and you said try these amazing vegan burgers people would be like no way I'm not, I don't, I'm not vegan. I don't eat vegan burgers. But if you say, try these delicious burgers, we made them, people eat them. And then but at the end, you're like, oh, you know, there was no animal in that or there's no meat in that. People would be more inclined to, to want to try it, wouldn't they? So it's all just that psychological kind of game that you play. Not saying that we should manipulate people, but how we present our products and our... Because I get asked all the time by food companies who are starting out, should we put vegan on the label? Should we shout about the fact that it's vegan? And in the UK today, like the, the Grocer, which is like this big vegan publication, vegan, the word vegan, is the number one trend in food retail in the United Kingdom. Everyone's talking about it. Everyone wants a piece of it because it's trendy and it's hip and it's cool. It used to be a bit scary and people did feel judged because they, they didn't understand it. They didn't really know what it's about. As the message is starting to seep into the mainstream, people are starting to realize that vegan food can be tasty and a vegan burger doesn't mean a dry bean burger that's like just disgusting you know the products are becoming more and more meat like the milk is more and more creamy the the egg replaces are more and more more and more effective so it's an exciting time for food and i think you guys are you know that's the thing you're doing the work but i think there's the the vegan demimon doesn't see that do they they see no they see the two the two percent that you're not doing and they focus in on that yeah, and we, can, can, can I, yeah. yeah, like yeah. If, I, yeah. if I can talk just about even give one real life example, um, we're looking at opening another cafe, mm. hopefully in the coming few months. And um, it's in a kind of in a busy location. And initially we had looked at we're going to open our first one as 100 percent vegan. Mm. <clears throat> this one's going to be 100 percent vegan. All the all the packaging is going to be compostable. This is going to be super right on. Mm. <clears throat> and then we kind of it kind of came to push push comes to shove or whatever it came to kind of the last um kind of final decisions and it was kind of like what coffee are we sure we're gonna do like just serve oat milk and almond rice milk is that all we're gonna serve and it was in it's in a central location where it's a lot of people go yeah, through uh yeah it was gonna be in ireland mm-hmm. and um yeah. we decided actually not to go 100 percent vegan and the main reason is that we find vegans to be extremely many of them to be incredibly wonderful humans but mm. we find there are a lot of very righteous people that mm. really enjoy throwing stones mm-hmm. if you do anything out of line so mm-hmm. we felt if we started as 100% vegan and we realised that sales aren't what they're meant to be to be able to continue to be in business mm. we might have to introduce cow's milk for coffee and we mm. felt the vegans would fling so much abuse it mm. just wasn't worth it it was mm-hmm. like why not listen it's going to be 99.5% mm-hmm. vegan and yes we will serve some cow's milk and the might be cheese in one dish mm. once a week or mm-hmm. something and it won't be 100% vegan but it'll be 99 point whatever mm. and, and we made it as a decision because if we do that then all other other cafes will be assumed to be vegan and then mm. I don't know the righteous vegans we found to be very angry towards us and a lot of our life is spent trying to encourage people um, to eat more fruit and veg and to live a healthier happier life and we find um, 
that it can be quite you know just uh, I, I think I think it just like uh, and we're still making this decision which Stephen are talking about so I think this is the bit where we're going deep yeah yeah <laughs> but but I think the basis of it is about inclusion and mm. I think if we became like an online we're completely vegan so it's mm. at some point maybe we will catch mm. up with it mm. but I guess we're going through the process mm-hmm. of of uh, of when how we'll get there and how mm. long it's going to take you know and just to acknowledge um, we're imperfect humans like mm-hmm. everyone listening here. Mm. Um, so we're trying to do our best that makes most sense and we're responsible we have a business now with about 140 people with us mm. and you know we're trying to do our best and mm. to do what we feel to be most appropriate yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's hard because you're not going to please everyone and no. you really really are doing your best of what feels right in the moment mm-hmm. in, you know factoring in all the decisions that you have mm. to make all the factors it is a tough one because you know on the one hand you, you're doing all this great work and you're influencing so many people to eat more plants and eat less animals but then there's this little bit of milk and this little bit of eggs and that's what people focus on they say what about the chickens and what about the cows and the poor baby cows the bolt guns in their heads and all these horrific things that go on in the dairy industry personally you know i can i can almost i'll probably get shot for saying this can almost deal with the kind of eggs because you can acquire eggs in a way that you know you're not causing suffering with chickens obviously from a to be very careful what i say here (laughs) like you yeah you know when it comes to veganism veganism exists because it's it's about ending suffering it's about ending unnecessary suffering but if you're living in harmony and symbiosis with another being you're not causing suffering. So I think that, it, you know, it is possible for some people to live in harmony with animals, right? And 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 use their... It's so difficult because it's the language. Like, it's yeah, use yeah, yeah. and consume. And I can even and like, see it going around in circles. Right, yeah, and I avoid can, it. And I can yeah. see you talking about this now, your mind the going, what, what do I say? What do I not yeah, say? Yeah, because it's getting, so difficult. And be, because ultimately... It, people listening now can be yeah. really judgmental and it yeah. can be very hard to get well they cross back. you off yeah yeah we, yeah we we found we get we can get lots of criticism back towards us because we're not 100 percent perfect mm. and many people listening mm. might believe they are and i wish you all the best mm. um but we're trying to do our best and but, we, mm. but, but i think i think like it's really at the root of it all like certainly in myself i can mm. only say it came for myself and most likely my twin brother here beside me but i think like I want to become more compassionate. Mm. I want to become more accepting of other mm. people and less judgmental of other people. And I think we've got to live this example in ourselves and yeah. not to try to be righteous. That's mm. like because but you when don't we're have righteous, to be. we're typically you, the thing is you don't have to be. You can in, you can need. continue to influence people in the way that you do. Keep pushing people in the direction of like a hundred percent. Because it's not about being perfect. It's about eat. It's about as little creating as little harm as possible within the confines of what's possible within your business, within your lives, whatever. And it is sometimes about making sacrifices. There, I know I know many businesses that have decided, despite potential financial loss to remove animal products from their line their product line and initially they saw a drop but then after that it completely skyrocketed because initially they had the same concerns as you guys they were worried there's a company called bowl they were actually at vivolution oh, yeah, yeah. where they removed animal products from their range um, and they initially thought they were going to go under because it created this change but then obviously as more and more people who who heard about the brand that it was 100 percent plant-based it took off and now i think they're like selling triple or more whatever they used to sell so it is possible to, yeah. to make that shift it is risky and I understand you know you're running a business for a long time we'll, we'll let's go on to talk about like the happy pair and like, well, well i think just there's one more thing i t- thought about that was there uh, because i don't want to dwell on this too no, much i think we could actually though. we could talk about it for another two hours another two years but i think what's fascinating as well is that like so as Stephen was saying like we've got about there's about 130 or 140 people on our team so yeah. there's quite a few bits of our business 
and back maybe two years ago or three years ago we borrowed like a decent chunk of money mm. to expand the business and at the time me and Steve were doing so many jobs and so was our, our brother Dara who runs the business with us that we asked our dad at the time dad was retired and we said hey dad do you mind stepping in as CEO for like just a year or two just to, just, just to get the whole thing things and he's been CEO now for two years maybe two and a bit years and he's amazing and he's brilliant and he's 67 so he's he's making like me and Steven are, and Dara would be more um, more kind of rebellious in our nature or more risk takers right. and, and, and that kind of way whereas Donal our father who's incredible mm. he's 67 and he's making decisions from he really wants to he, he you know they're not he doesn't want to take the riskiest things he wants sure. to go on that so maybe that's influencing the decision as well you sure. know? yeah because you know you run a business with how many staff I think it's somewhere like around 140 right. 130 and you, something you, know, like. you, have an, you do have an obligation uh, to be able to support people through your business but speaking of the business um, that's a quite an achievement like well done thanks, right. <laughs> thanks. you know so how, so how does it feel i was i was saying to one of you i can't remember I was standing in the, having one of those moments i'm like which one's which again um standing in the middle of the office think thinking to myself it must be there must be points where you look around and think wow like how did this happen yeah and, and it's funny how you, we're so busy doing uh -huh. and trying and and doing i would say mm. human doings that it's not often you take the time and go jeez well look at all this mm. stuff that's all these happened. people we were we were in the meeting in there sorry in the meeting we we're in the office yesterday was it yesterday yeah, yeah yeah and it was a huge room of people all talking about financial business stuff um and it all's very official and there's everyone tapping away on their computers and there's a there's a big kind of like what do you call it the food uh the like npd team or the, no, the or the kitchens building. The production food, facility. The big food production facility with like how many products? Uh, we produce 33 products 33 and they're selling a thousand stores in Ireland. But we yeah. have five big kitchens here and it's all food manufacturing mm -hmm. and a coffee roastery. And mm -hmm. we've got a farm where we grow microgreens and wheatgrass. Mm. And we nice. sit in a studio where we film and mm -hmm. and you got yeah, which is one of one of the other thing many things you do is a YouTube channel which you've been doing for a few years now. Yeah, yeah. What's I, that like being on YouTube? Uh, well, I think it started back about four. It must be four, even pushing five years now. Yeah. We got an email from Jamie Oliver yeah. to see if we'd be part of, and it was his team. It wasn't him personally. Mm. Seeing if we'd be part of his FoodTube network because he had yeah. a FoodTube channel, yeah. and he was looking for people to be yeah. you know i think it was even vegetarian they mm -hmm. wanted us to be but to, who were dads who were you know fronting up the plant movement is that where it began and that's that's oh where, wow and that was literally i used to work for jamie i don't know if i told you no yeah yeah no so, so it was back about five years ago we went over and we sat down with food tube and jane mm -hmm. and it kind of was like do you want to come on board there's like 10 other creators like mm. dj barbecue was doing barbecue there was French guy Alex was doing French guy cooking was doing kind of French yeah. kind of stuff there was Cook and, they, Gemini. and they put the cameras on and you were like in your element <laughs> uh, uh, yeah we were delighted like we, we'd never been, we've always felt like we've had a really strong message to yeah. shout about and it was funny how it started like right now we're sitting in the studio where we kind of use for filming or mm. writing cookbooks or testing recipes but initially it started down the back of um, kind of like the yard mm. and we kind of had this wooden table and we managed to skim together to get this little gas hob and I think you had a spare pot in your house and it was really rough but I guess and it's Sean, Sean had one camera and like you know we started with that and mm. I think today we've got more than 20 million views mm. and they're 
you know, it's grown in so many different ways. I think we've got shot maybe four or 500 videos. We shot a lot of videos over the last one. But it's great fun and great um, opportunity to expand our creativity continuously. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I mm. guess you're always in that R&D mode. Mm. Like as in research and development. With uh, the social media, because obviously plant-based news, like you guys, is active everywhere. Um, do you feel this pressure to constantly be making content and spreading the message? And like, because it's like being on a treadmill. Sometimes it can be quite a challenge mm. in that new video every day new this new tweet yeah. new text new like, like instagram the, gotta do yeah this yeah yeah often it can feel that but at the same time we're fortunate that there's mm. two of us mm-hmm. which makes it easier and there's mm. as we've the business has grown there's been more support needed for me and dave mm. so we do have more people that will mm. help us and also we're fortunate in that our natural um kind of feeling towards life is to to share and mm-hmm. to want to be excited and like look can i show you this look, yeah, look yeah. there's an apple it's a delicious apple this <laughs> yeah and i think that's the nature of being an extrovert mm. being mm-hmm. like where we look outside of ourselves a lot and like to get validation from the world mm. and that's what's great about being on youtube because it is all about sharing what you love and what you're passionate about yeah, totally. it's a very strange world youtube i must admit i tend to tend to stay away from it it's klaus's domain this is why I'm in the world of audio because it's, like, it's a lot good. easier. Um, but with regards like your business, like what are some of your most proudest moments in the last 14 years? Uh, I think one of my proudest moments is the fact, the lifestyle I get to live. Mm. And as Dave mentioned there back about a, maybe it was like a two and a half years ago, we borrowed a, a significant large sum of money mm. um, and we planned on opening loads of shops and we found um, the more shops we opened or cafes open, we opened, the more we were having to travel more. We were being busy. I, I had three kids or I have three kids now. And at the time I had three kids and I was kind of like, I wasn't getting to like have breakfast with my kids. I wasn't being able to be there for them in the evening. I was working all the time and I was feeling quite stressed. And uh, at the time, Dave, we bumped into, we got an email from... Okay, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I might have to just say I love it when you do that. You did that on the Vivolution stage. Like one would start and the other would finish. And like, can I tell the story? <laughs> you kind of have stories that yeah. you love to tell. Yeah, you know, it's like that's my story. Sometimes yeah. I'm like, I don't need it. But uh, uh, so <clears throat> here we go, starting again, David. Big story. Uh, well, now we're building it up. Okay. Anyway, uh, I did my thesis back in university. Uh, I was studying business, and I did it in this guy Charles Handy. He was a mm. business consultant and business philosopher. And he wrote about like, you know, he was very into business and, and he was my hero. I'd read all his books. And then back, for, must be three years ago, after we'd borrowed this money, we got an email from this lady in London seeing if she if we'd be part of some twin photography project she was doing. She flew across and took photos of us. And just so happened her name was Liz Handy and her assistant on that day was her 84-year-old husband called Charles Handy, who was a business consultant and executive who I'd kind of mm-hmm. done my homework on. And I was like, Charles Handy, oh my God, you're my hero. And, you know, burning the ear off him and was <laughs> talking to him all day. And he was like, wow, geez, that's such an exciting story you're telling me and whatever. And he said, sounds like your business is at a crossroads. Like, why don't you come across to, we've got a farm, a nice country house. Why don't you come over and we'll cook you lunch and let's talk about what's success for you mm-hmm. and what do you want to do the business? And we went over, me and Steve went over and we brought our whole full family, like mom and dad came and Dara, the brother came and Mark wasn't there, but there was five of us went across and eat lunch with Charles, 84, cooked as a vegan lunch and his wife, who at the time was 79 and wow. we all ate and we were discussing the whole afternoon. We spent three hours discussing what is success, when mm-hmm. is enough is enough and it was an amazing conversation and through the back of that we realized like quality of life here and now is the most fundamental. Mm. It's not about opening 10 cafes or 15 cafes mm-hmm. and ruling the world. It's about being able to walk our kids to school, swim in the sea in the morning, you know, do our training, 
like quality of life here and now is so fundamental mm. and work with people that we love mm. and that are friends and mm. really feel like there's a work that we love and we feel great joy and manage to as the business has become bigger and we've become more out in the public more there's been more demands on us and mm. so there's more and more a need to maintain balance or equilibrium mm. or find a sense of try to, try to yeah mm. and constantly to really focus on that as speaking priority of, number one speaking of balance it leads me on to my nice question nice question my next question really nicely balance you're both incredibly energetic people I, th I think i remember when i first met you i was like whoa <laughs> <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> i need to drink whatever they're drinking you know there's like it's quite hard to describe the the two of you there's i don't think i've ever met anyone like the two of you you just have this like really infectious energy and there's just so much of it like how do you manage to contain it without it like literally causing you to implode <laughs> <laughs> In terms of energy, I think we're fortunate because yeah. there's two of us mm. and we tend to bounce off each other and mm -hmm. we, there's a wonderful synergistic nature in that one plus one can equal three, four, five mm -hmm. a lot of the time. Uh, but we're just, just like everyone else, like mm. we love downtime just as much. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, What do you do to switch off and how do you switch off? Uh, I love a bath. Like mm. last night I had a bath with my daughter. She's eight. We got oh. in the bath together and yeah. we read Harry Potter for 40 oh. minutes and that was wow. just like, it can't get any nicer like sitting in the bath. But I love having a bath by myself. Mm. I love going for walks. Mm. And when I do have time, um, like quiet time, I just like mm. to pull away from the world mm. and not be Mr. Happy Player Unplug. Man. Unplug. Yeah, and just kind of walk or take it easy. I love uh, having, this is Steve here, this is the other one. Uh, I love kind of having breakfast with my family or kind of having dinner with my family and I love putting my kids to bed and mm. just hanging out. You know, the yeah. thing is great. Yeah. And you, what about your meditation? You still meditate, both of you? Or? Yeah, I'd love to say I still meditate two hours a day. But <laughs> I guess as life has got busier, it's been harder to try to mm. um, focus on it exclusively. Mm. And I feel, when I say this now, I feel like, that's my fault i should have been responsible how I do you focus it more but pretty much we try to yeah. meditate you know I, I in, as an ideal i try to yeah. meditate 15 minutes a day i as of recent times i yeah. seldom hit it but i go through spurts where i'm good at it and bad 15 at minutes it. a week you mean yeah. <laughs> how do you how do you balance maybe it's that like life's got so busy and there's so many demands that if we tried to beat ourselves up yeah. on meditation and okay. trying to do all these things like you just break there's mm. only like everyone's trying to live their best life and be the best version of themselves but I think it all starts with being kind to yourself mm. and kind of going, oh, jeez, whatever. So you don't put, you don't, you try and put, try and not put too much pressure on yourself. Definitely, definitely, because yeah. there's already enough on us. So I think like, like swimming in the sea is a mm. great medicine for us. Mm -hmm. And if we're making that lots of the time, that's mm. a huge win for us mm. because that kind of symbolizes taking time for yourself, connecting with nature. Mm. There's something ceremonious about going, like we swim in the sea at sunrise every mm. morning. And I know, a, I went with you this morning. I, I didn't die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was great. And there's an amazing community of people that do it, that we all do it together. Mm. And it's it's such a wholesome, nourishing things mm -hmm. for our spirits, I would say. And uh, that that's a great kind of thing of recalibrating and mm. kind of knowing that we're And then we like to train. Like we like mm. to do some, we tend to, as you mentioned, we tend mm. to have quite a lot of energy. Mm. And often if we don't um, kind of, we often use the expression, walk the dog. Mm. The dog can be erratic and crazy mm. and lacking focus. So um, we tend to try to get an hour's exercise mm -hmm. in some shape or form most mornings, mm. uh, whether that be yoga or calisthenics or handstands or mm -hmm. gymnastics, or mm. it could be... Um, yeah, a variety. It could be simple press-ups and sit-ups or flexibility. Mm. And we try to do that most days. And through doing that, we tend to feel more focused. Or it could be just a lion. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, no, I think it's so important. Like, it's like we aren't robots. Like, mm -hmm. we're, we're humans that are completely flawed. And we have good days and bad days. And some days we're more energetic than other days. And, uh, and that's like we're, we're, you know, we're mm. totally, we're doing our best. We, mm -hmm. we haven't figured it out yet.
but the thing that really helps us is we and we're very fortunate that we have a very um supportive team and family around us that mm-hmm. enable us to be who we are mm, nourish you there's a lot of people out there who struggle with life generally especially from a mental health perspective like mental health is a huge kind of uh it's massively neglected in our society especially our western society where Mm. so much emphasis is put on money and houses and things and you know opening a hundred cafes and taking over the world and making millions of pounds or euros whatever wherever you are um that creates a lot of pressure on people and often in the kind of western model the patriarchal society you know men that pressure lands on the men and the men feel like they have to be the best, succeed at everything. Mental health is probably at the lowest it's ever been in the Western world. Um, 5,700 uh, men take their own lives every single year in the UK alone, and 800,000 people every year worldwide take their own lives from various reasons, but mostly to do with uh, societal pressures. Um, when you think about it on a microscopic level, you know that's like a football team of men taking their lives every single day. That's just in the UK. Um, it's a huge problem but as two like young men who are very positive and like you know your lives are very full you've got children families how do you you know what are your kind of opinions on how people can turn around that darkness that kind of sometimes because you must have had throughout your lives you must have had dark days you know you must have had times where you were low and you were like how the hell do I get out of this yeah yeah I I think when I hear all that I feel oh my god I feel you know really sad when I hear all that um, and I guess the first thing to say is we're from a very privileged mm. position in that like being an identical twin I've kind of had someone that has always pretty much always understood me and mm. loved me unconditionally mm. and it's made it made it really fortunate and very privileged for me and that we've come from mm. a very supportive family and yeah and we live in a little community where everyone mm. knows us so mm. I'm coming from a very mm. lucky fortunate mm. position mm. so I, I think um, tips that I, anything that I could recommend are uh, no I was just going to say that just like everyone else we have good days and bad days mm. and I can definitely empathise like there's parts of there's parts of us that you can relate to those feelings that mm. other people must have mm. but I think it, as Stephen said we're extremely fortunate we've got a very close family like we really do families like I see my parents most days and I see my brothers most days and my brothers are my best friends so mm. like we're unbelievably fortunate in that sense and we live in a small town so like I think support is the number one when you mm. think about the blue zones those mm. places where there's the most amount of centenarians longest living healthiest people on the planet when they look at their lifestyle factors the most central one the core one of all is tribe that sense mm. of belonging that sense of social connection and mm. I think that's really nowadays what like where there's so much war and mm. kind of against and mm. non-acceptance and I think when I think of ourselves and why we're so fortunate is that we have lots of supports and we mm. do have bad days and we do feel like support like when we mm. feel like falling over mm-hmm. there's people that help prop us up and go hey listen it's all right like mm. I, that's grand you feel like shit tomorrow will help mm. you be better day. let's go for a swim mm-hmm. here come on try that you know and then you know so it's it, it's really the support i think mm. that's the most fundamental thing because mm-hmm. when you when you look at those blue zones they tend to have six close <coughs> friends six people that they can mm. go jeez i'm having a real mm. hard time mary it's really tough you know and that's really important and i think the more people whereas in the west we typically might have one mm. you know, one close mm-hmm. person so i think as people say real wealth is the relationships the real true prosperity mm. is the prosperity of the relationships within mm-hmm. your life yeah if i can i think that if i can just add to that 
um, a friend's mother died um, this week and um, unfortunately we weren't able to attend the funeral but I heard from so many people in our little community that this lady was exceptional and just how like no one spoke about like the wealth she had or mm. whether she had big possessions they all just spoke about how much she mm. touched their lives mm -hmm. and I really think that the measure of success and real wealth is the quality of our friendships and mm. our ability to help others mm. and I think that's more something that I I'd love to try to help society um, value more. Mm -hmm. and, and I think back to your earlier question when you were talking about the pressures on men to both go and succeed. And I think they're just as big on women mm -hmm. because women now have to have kids and have abs and look good. But and the difference between men and women is that women have the community around them of women who will connect with them, the girls' nights out, whereas boys or men are not kind of trained or primed to open and connect. Yeah, You yeah, know, you have to go true. off and travel around India to learn to connect you know as you live in a western society it's like boys don't cry boys don't feel emotion boys must be yeah, strong boys must be tough i i heard recently a statistic where they said that the the most lonely stage of a human life cycle mm. is typically men between the age of 30 and 40 that's mm. when we typically feel mm -hmm. our most lonely and most isolated it's not women or it's not mm. teenage it's those yeah and if i can just talk another thing in terms of relating to the issue of mental health mm. and relating to the issue of kind of vulnerability like as dave as we mentioned earlier we grew up in quite a, a macho environment mm. very male centric and typically in our little circles no one spoke about emotions it's mm. like your grand get on with mm. this type of idea and my wife's a clinical psychologist and um, when we first started dating she'd ask me um so Stephen, tell me about your emotions and i'd mm. go oh, i'm lucky i only got the good ones yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy i'm tired occasionally hunger's an emotion isn't mm. it mm. and then sometimes i'm horny mm -hmm. and that was i, I mm. firmly believed that was my emotional range mm -hmm. And she kind of looked at me like I was absolutely... Um, Bonkers. Yeah. And she said, like, you have a full range of emotions like every human, and it's mm. really important that you express them all. Mm. So I've been making an effort when people ask me, how am I doing, instead mm. of just going grand. Mm. I actually might go, I'm overwhelmed. I feel mm. a bit tired. I feel a bit stressed. Mm. And it's amazing when I mm. open up like that, the person that previously had told me they were grand, mm. they suddenly go, Jesus, mm. I feel crap too. People then, mirror each other, don't they? Yeah, and then immediately yeah. you feel closer, though, when mm. you're actually vulnerable and you actually are more honest so mm. the other person kind of sees you and can often mirror it and suddenly you feel closer and it's like wow mm. that was and i think think on the topic of mental health an idea which i try to remind myself of all the time is we're all three-year-olds going around that want to be told we're great mm. and that we want to feel loved like mm -hmm. and we all are and we're all going around essentially like we all want signs on us on our front and our back going you know love me like mm. we all just want mm. to be loved and told that we're great mm -hmm. and but as adults, we've become, we've built so many different layers in front of us and so many kind of ideas and misconceptions. But I see my kids like they're eight and five and they walk into a playground and they walk straight up to someone else they've never met in their life. And they go, hi, will you be my friend? And that's it, they're friends. <laughs> yeah. Oh, can I play with Paul who I met in the playground? Well, that, you know, we're five minutes, you know. And that's a, that to me, that's one of the most important lessons in life is to ask for help or ask for what you want and for me it's one of the biggest mistakes that people make in relationships not just with friends but with partners lovers wives is you know when you want something you need to ask for it if you want more attention or physical connection you need to ask not everyone is a mind reader not everyone is emotionally intelligent enough to be able to just get you or get it sometimes people do need to ask and i think most people need you to ask them can you help me i need support and i think that's what's missing in our society is that training as children well, actually, we're innately like that, aren't we? When we're children, we ask for that, and then it's kind of beaten out of us. 
you know, don't be a bother, don't bother people, don't stop talking, you're too loud, you're this, you're that. I mean, you two must have been constantly being told to, quiet, sit down, be quiet, <laughs> put in your box. Um, but yeah, so we could talk for hours about human psychology and the nature of being because it's vast and yeah, yeah. never-ending. Yeah, and so many potholes and so many kind of bumps along the way. But, but um, I think things like just to summarize it in terms of things that we find that support our mental help is one mm. to try to get support, mm. Second, ask for help, yeah. ask for help. Second thing, surround yourself with mm. as much community as you can. Like we swim in the sea, and there's so many close friends that we've such a laugh and a joy, and they just remind you. Another thing that I do with my kids is my wife is uh, religious. So we'll generally, when we all go to bed at night, there's myself, my wife and three kids. And typically we'll say a prayer in Polish. Mm -hmm. uh, she's Polish. And then we all say five things that we're grateful for. Mm -hmm. And the gratitude helps us appreciate the simple things that we have in our life. That mm -hmm. like, my God, we have a home and we have running water. And we mm -hmm. got our, like, it's, it's warm and we have all this lovely food. And, mm -hmm. and it's amazing when you suddenly start to appreciate, you suddenly start going, wow, I'm so lucky. Mm. Yeah, and I, that sounds all cliche, you know, being grateful, but there is a huge truth in it. Yeah. And I think the other one it's is... It's powerful. Uh, it really is. Simple, really but is. powerful. And it's easy to go, oh, listen, go away with your new age stuff, but there's a huge yeah. truth in it. You hippies. And, <laughs> and I think the other one is nature. Yeah. I think, like, inherently, when we mm. spend more time in nature, mm -hmm. it connects us to a deeper sense of ourself. Mm. Like, it, there's just a different rhythm, a different pace, and it's just nourishing mm. in such you a different way. Spending time in nature and exposing ourselves to fractals, which mm. is a particular shape in nature, mm -hmm. it reduces our cortisol level mm. and actually we stop being quite so stressed. And that sounds interesting. And to take, to, that. to take that to further... I love fractals. Fractals. To, to take that to a further degree, I think swimming in the sea, in the cold Irish mm. sea, is like mainlining nature. It's like, <laughs> like it really is, it's like you're just, you're gulping I so much I certainly felt nature. something. I tell you what, so when I got out of just, everyone was listening, so I swam with the boys this morning and uh, got... Swam, Robbie, swam. Well, okay, okay. Okay, I dipped. I dipped. I was ten seconds in and ten seconds out. Well, I was only thirty. So I, I but uh, I walked out and my feet felt like they were on fire. They literally felt like they were burning, like hot coals. Um, and the feeling of like you know, you can imagine if you did that on a regular basis, how it would touch and affect every part of your body. Because obviously, what's happening there is your nerve endings are firing um, from the shock. Um, and you know, when your body goes into shock, like your heart races, your blood vessels dilate, you're kind of pushing everything around your body. So I can imagine just what good it does for you. And I think the sea is not really real. It's not really, um, something that people can do on an everyday. Mm. Not everyone can, Yeah. but like cold, even a shower, a cold mm. shower is a really good way of doing it. Wim, Wim Hof, Wim Hof. Wim Hof, yeah, Wim Hof. Like, the, and it, like the cold, the cold water. It's like, and we, we use this expression quite a, a lot of the time that we'll, We'll often go down to the sea and you'll be going, oh, jeez, I feel knackered. And mm. look, it's raining again. Mm. And I have so much stuff I've got to do. And there's 10 texts on my phone. And I have to, I don't even have time for this. And like, you know, the, you're feeling bur overburdened. Mm. And then, so you're not feeling a lot of self-love in that moment. And once you go into the sea, you literally, like it just washes mm. away the miserable man. Mm. And the expression which a friend Cloud's always says. gone. Yeah, like, and then suddenly you're going, oh my God, it's a beautiful day. And gee, I hear the, do you hear those birds? Mm. Gee, and it suddenly got so much brighter. And mm. I forgot what I have to do. And like a friend always says the expression, he says, uh, like, I don't always love the person going into the sea, but mm -hmm. I love the person coming out. Like, mm. and there's huge truth in it. And I think, think cold water, like the sea mightn't be relevant to many people out there, but I think cold water can just shock you to life like shock yeah. you into or, or even just nature any form of nature to remind you that we're a small part of this greater um, mm. biological system 
uh, and that we're, we're one of many and that we're all ultimately anyway i'm going a bit philosophical there i'll, I'll, I'll stop before i go, I go too, too <laughs> With, rare, let's right, let's bring it let's bring it back a bit to yeah. kind of like veganism and like the movement at oh, large yes, no no so so we so obviously as a movement we're very fairly young started in 1945 uh, donald watson the vegan society with a desire to kind of like create change in the world with, with the way the way people look at animals but what's really hap- what's been really interesting over the last sort of you know a few decades is that the movement has shifted and changed and it's become focused on very on three really important things we call the vegan trifecta human improving human health uh saving and uh, protecting our environment and of course ending the use of animals um and people come in in different angles don't they they take their own way in a lot of people say they come for the health and they stay for the animals some people come because they want to halve their carbon footprint um but in the recent months and years there's been a lot of like high profile people who were so passionate we won't we're not going to mention names or talk about anyone specific, but a lot of people were so passionate about it and so dedicated and so into it. And there are many recently, not not hundreds, but quite a few with a lot of influence who've gone 180 degrees and turned their backs on it completely. How, you guys have been doing this for such a long time. How do you feel? How does it make you feel about the big picture? Does it make you worried? Are you concerned that it's going to have a really negative effect on everything we're all working for? What are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, like... I think each to their own. I yeah. think we can only take responsibility for our own actions mm-hmm. ultimately. And I think we're all imperfect humans trying to do our best. And what we try to do is just focus on our little bit of mm. ground that we have mm-hmm. and take responsibility for our garden and do our best with that. And for us, it makes most sense for us to eat a vegan diet. And it's what I try to do, but I'm imperfect mm. occasionally. Mm. If my granny made oh, there we are. <laughs> if my granny made an apple pie and there was a little bit of butter in it, mm. I'd have a little bit of her apple pie because rejecting food from an Irish your Irish grandmother is like rejecting mm-hmm. her love. Yeah. And by me eating a small amount, she feels I accept her. Mm. We bond great. And yes, I know it was possibly I shouldn't have consumed mm. that butter by the vegan doctrine, mm. but it was really tasty. Mm. Granny loved it. I loved it. Mm. We all bonded together. So I think it's about trying to make the best decision we mm. can. Like I would never eat meat, but I would. Uh, like I know when I go on holidays with my kids in summer and they're getting an ice cream mm. and we're in Italy and it's mm. sunny and a gelato, mm. I will absolutely go have an ice cream with mm-hmm. them. And some of the time, a number of times it hasn't been vegan and that's fine. I'm going, mm. this is great. I'm, do- mm. I'm sharing something with my children. Mm. That's very important. And sure, I'm probably supporting animal suffering in that mm. moment. But 99.9% recurring, like I eat a vegan diet. And I think in those moments, I think it's to realize that, hey, you know, we're all doing our best. And I think Mm. everyone has to draw their own lines. And I think, but back to what you were saying originally, that when people start and they're so passionate and it's, they're so, like, there's almost a righteousness in it. Mm. It's not really sustainable because Mm. you're, you're ostracizing yourself and isolating yourself. And Mm. I think coming out of, like, if, if it's really true for you, you'll just be sustaining and it's just part of your life, like, if it becomes your whole life, it might be a bit extreme. Like I know we find it's because it's not your life. whole identity. Like yeah, it's a, yeah, it's an aspect of your identity. And you know, there will be vegans who will say, you know, you can't call yourself a vegan even if you consciously choose one bit of animal product. Like it's it's one thing accidentally eating butter, milk, or eggs or whatever. It's another thing consciously because that does seem to work vegan doctrine it's a very very interesting choice of words because <laughs> mm. it can feel dogmatic and to you know once you're on the other side of the glass once you've seen all the violent videos and the way animals are treated you know um it's very hard for people to see why once you know what goes on with those products you know the, the milk the cheese or whatever how you would 
like kind of just disregard that without realizing that you know yeah it's easy to say you know i'm an imperfect being but it's like once you know how can you unknow how can you unsee you know what i mean and that's the thing like that's it's hard you know our world is surrounded with animal products everywhere you look every billboards tv newspapers magazines everything's pushing it in your face you walk in a supermarket and 90 percent of what's in there has animals in it in some way um, so it is difficult for people, but this is the thing. This is the nuance of it. It's about trying to show people that do the best that you can, like be as supportive and, and helpful as you can to make that change, which is with as much as you can. But my question is more about like people of influence. Yeah, Deb, and, and to answer that directly, like, and to turn it back on yeah. Dave's answer yeah. there, I think sometimes too much can break a person. Yeah, and that. The small little the pressure, you mean? Not even the pressure, but the, the, the pressure yeah, the pressure yeah, right. to uphold it, the, the pressure to be righteous, the pressure yeah. to be the perfect vegan, yeah, and yeah. sometimes by for even ourselves yeah. sitting having a gel, a pistachio mm. ice cream yeah. in yeah, Italy, yeah. Yeah. and and that the fact I remember, I remember in Spain back a number of years ago, mm. and I'd been a righteous vegan for like eight years, <laughs> and I'd never had an ice cream, and I was dating this Spanish girl that mm. was real. She was Patricia, and she was mm. all about fluyendo, and she was very kind of. Um, fluid in how uh-huh. she she lived her life mm. and she was largely vegetarian but mm. she you know she didn't want to stick to the doctor mm-hmm. and she used to kind of look at me when i wouldn't eat ice cream mm. i was going oh, poor little boy mm. you know not not mm. an, an inability to be in the moment and i remember fighting with myself will i have an ice cream will i not will i not want and i remember having the ice cream and, and it had dairy and i remember it felt so relieving it mm. felt like great I'm not perfect Mm. you know I'm Mm -hmm. more than this vegan doctrine I'm a human trying to do my best here Mm. in the world and Mm. I think maybe in the case of these other people that have broken and have Mm. turned 180 maybe Mm. the doctrine felt too much it was too much a weight for them to carry and they wanted to just feel like everyone else well that's the thing pressure yeah and ultimately like if I see my kids they really want to fit in Mm. with their friends Mm. they want to feel accepted and we haven't talked about that there's a whole cultural side to food in our especially you know in Irish culture but not much in British culture but I like in Irish culture there's you know in most parts of the world Spain Italy like food and culture and family are so intertwined and when you say to people you can't have that lasagna anymore you can't have that milk you can't have that cheese it terrifies people and people are so that's why people react with emotion because you're taking away a part of their culture family time or whatever but i'm excited about the future because there are so many incredible products that are going to replace all these things in the future absolutely and i really believe that animal agriculture will be wiped from the face of this earth it really will it's not sustainable it's damaging our world it's not necessarily good for our health depending on the volume of, of what you eat um, and it's and it's not good for animals. But I think you know, with with influencers who can keep their shit together, like you guys, yeah. you know, and 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 keep your business functioning and keep on encouraging people to eat more plants, we're going to see and we are seeing great change. Yeah, so I'm I'm definitely excited. And even if just one story came to my yeah. mind in terms of the challenge of the the. And even it's been a very a conflict within our um, business and within our life. Mm. We're we're very idealistic by very nature, but mm. the nature of business is that it has to exist within capitalism. It's mm-hmm. it's that edge where ideals and practicality mm. and realism meet. Mm. And um, my daughter May now is eight, mm. and when she was born, I was very adamant to my wife Justina mm. that I really want to raise her as a vegan. Mm-hmm. It's really important to me. This is so true to me. This is so right. She's gonna be May mm-hmm. May the vegan, <laughs> um, and. 
I was reminded by my mother that mm. it, it takes a community to raise a child. Mm. There's that expression, it takes a village to raise a child. And when I'm in Poland with my wife and we're mm. staying with her family and her family are very carnivorous in mm. nature. And if I want to leave May with my mother-in-law, there is no way mm. in any any shape or form that she is not going to give my mm. daughter May meat. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've had to kind of just kind of go, Let listen, go, yeah. I'm going to do my best when she's with me. She eats a vegan diet. And when she's with others, you know, I want her to feel that she can make her own decisions mm. in life. And funny enough, my son, Theo, who's now six, he kind of just decided to be vegetarian. He kind of went and he, he kind of came to totally from his own perspective. He was like, meat is really bad for the environment, dad. I'm going to, uh, can we do a posters and put them around the town? Because I don't think people <laughs> wow. know how bad it is. And he's become quite wow, vocal in his own thing as a six-year-old. So, mm. you know, maybe she'll come to it. Maybe she won't. Mm. But like, but you've armed your children with the knowledge, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you, we, we kind of made them very much. Without forcing it in there. But what I find so sense. interesting about the two of you is that you, ha you have this real, like, not like yeah, it is a dichotomy of kind of like you're so passionate about the vegan stuff but then you're also like really pragmatic i mean i'm very similar in many ways people think i'm like a cult leader of the vegan <laughs> movement but then at the same time when my, where some of my friends have gone oh i've gone back to eating milk again are you gonna stop being friends with me <laughs> you know some of my friends have been really scared to tell me that they've gone back to eating cheese or milk because they're worried i'm going to reject them you know, and I'm and I'm completely the opposite. I'm like, people are not perfect. People make mistakes. People make choices based on emotion, which is often what the ice cream and all that is about. It's not about the ice cream. It's yeah. the family. It's the and connection. And the freedom, the sense yeah. of freedom. That yeah. It's like, this. I'm more than this doctrine. Yeah, because that ice cream could have been plant-based. It could have been made of cashews. It could have been made of dairy. It could have been of whatever like that's not really about the cow it's the and that's the, the tricky and challenging thing about it's culture. more about the present moment experience that it's yeah. 5 p.m the sun's yeah. setting it's yeah. in and, spain and, and making the choice to the be the create a drama with your family and cause like emotional but, but, but it was more children. making the choice to yeah. be in the moment with yeah. children and yeah. not drag them off halfway across the city to find the vegan yeah. ice cream that wasn't going to be as yeah. good as the one that they were having there yeah, right that had smarties on the top yeah you know that way and that mm. sometimes that small little imperfection can mm. be so perfect in moment mm -hmm. and that it can make you go life is all about being present and mm. about accepting our imperfections and celebrating them and by that i'm not saying that you shouldn't be a perfect vegan sure you should try to do your best but mm. if you do slip up that's okay too be as vegan uh, as you can be as many joy and, says and to start with being compassionate to mm. yourself because mm. that's what has to start with and do as much as what feel right because if it becomes this this chain which you're carrying around or mm. this big kind of heavy thing that's mm. like that's making you less rather than more well then yeah. put it down for a yeah. little bit and see if it's see if you want to pick it up again you know yeah because we don't live in a vegan world we live in a car carnistic world which is yeah. focused on the consumption and use of animals like 99 percent of it yeah. and so we have to operate within that framework and and it's it's not always going to be perfect and that's the point it's like not it's not about being perfect all the time it's about sometimes you're going to make mistakes sometimes you're going to make choices which you know aren't necessarily in alignment with who you are but you're going to keep pushing forward you're going to keep trying it's not as if you guys are you know um taking your business towards steak and chips next week like no, not in any you know <laughs> so, uh, and uh, wait, where was i going to go with that i, I had something but, clever coming on board there I'm just conscious of of the time. We're 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 just over an hour now. I'm really um, enjoying going well, philosophical. <laughs> I very much enjoy this conversation because I really appreciate being able to talk yeah. about something that's so mm. relevant and it's amazing. I think when you 
because it's so nuanced though this yeah, is the and, thing uh, it's not black and white yeah and, and I, this I think, is why a lot of people see it it's very black and white i think it's what's not. important like uh, we've been doing this for 17 years and not yeah. to say in any sense we've just been on the journey longer than mm-hmm. some people mm. and to make it sustainable is really important mm-hmm. because if it is really important if for someone to become vegan in the first place mm. sustaining it is really important and mm. i think it starts with compassion, really does. With and compassion with yourself. And if you do want to, like we found for the first five, maybe 10 years, you can be quite righteous and quite fundamentalist. But mm. if you are to sustain it, well, sustain it into the long term, mm. you have to be a little bit more gentle in how you navigate it. Like if I'm out at dinner and there's an amazing piece of chocolate cake there, I'm mm. dying to try. Mm. I'll try it mm. and I'll really enjoy it. And mm. I'll kind of go, yeah, I'm vegan. And occasionally I might have something that has a little bit of mm. butter in it. You're vegan. <laughs> whatever, whatever, what, but whatever way kidding. people want. It was a California. I think it was a, it was a, a cheating a, vegan. Uh, yeah, che- uh, things from LA, like some some vegan celebrity was like, yeah, I occasionally eat cheese, and of course the vegan demi monde erupted oh, yeah, and yeah. said, "You're a cheegan." <laughs> yeah, and, and I think maybe part of the reason that sustains these very righteous vegans is the fact they're righteousness. But isn't it better to be honest about it as opposed to rather like, than lie rather than being it. a vegan that's to the world 100 percent, but secretly at home they're eating milk chocolate bars struggling. and they're yeah. struggling and then suddenly they crack and they you but know you could choose pressure, you could so. choose you could like you said you used to be like that you used to be 100 percent, like you wouldn't touch it and then you relaxed a bit mm. like you could like did you feel that pressure like definitely like pressure? because everyone's looking at you going yeah like is that vegan? Is that not vegan? You know, and, right. and they want to beat you up. They're looking for chances to beat you up, you know, because you've you've kind of beaten them up for so long. But. So then, then let's talk about the label, because like some people who experience that pressure say, "Well, I don't want to say I'm vegan then, because if I remove the label, so you yeah. know, if Dave and, and and Steve are no longer labeled as vegan, then no one can point a finger at you and say you're." breaking the doctrine yes, the gods of veganism vegan are going to come down will. and like strike you down you know so what are your thoughts on the label like how yeah. uh, i'm late this is vegan here which means i'm i'm i don't or i'm not allowed to consume anything from animal product and if i do i get struck down like <laughs> yeah yeah i think the label and i think the label is quite a strong one that yeah. um uh, yeah. typically we don't really label ourselves yeah. like i don't it's only been in the last couple of years that it's really become mm. not like i think the last maybe five years maybe mm. three years even it's become almost cool like and mm. it, it probably nowadays it is cool in lots of circles to say you're vegan mm. but we certainly weren't public about it we we were always it was just something mm. that we wear but i don't know if you if you were too front up with it becomes the center of every conversation and it becomes it does it becomes your and it becomes your, your life identity. and your world which can yeah. be very limiting because mm. as we've said i think everyone is more than what they eat mm. and we're all mm-hmm really just trying to learn how to be more compassionate and become better versions of ourselves. Yeah, we want more people to eat more plants, essentially. And we totally. want to reduce the amount of suffering in our world because, you know, we're losing 200 species a day. Yes, there are 100 million odd species on this planet, but, you know, your children's children may not have a world if mm. we continue at the current rate of decline and destruction. Fundamentally, we need to change how we live. You know, animal agriculture is the leading cause of greenhouse gas emissions ocean dead zones deforestations you know de- deforestation uh, species extinction you know where so when people say oh you know i need uh, you know people need to eat meat or i have to eat meat it's not true you know we can find alternatives but we happen to live in a world where it's available and it's too readily available because of factory farming you know we've never eaten and consumed this many animal products ever in our entire history people say oh but our cavemen though cavemen got meat 
once in a blue moon if they were lucky probably and they died at like 24 <laughs> so <laughs> so this notion that humans should eat like cavemen is fucking ridiculous excuse my French stones. you know mm-hmm. humans if you look at our cousin, our closest cousins on this planet they're chimpanzees they eat 99.9% plants uh, some insects and they have an very, ice cream every now and again they were an ice cream and they have a yeah they have a, a you know a meat ice cream every so often um, we're imperfect beings I guess that's the kind of thing and we're, not, we're doing the best we can and we might not always get it right so and if I if I can summarize from my um, ignorant perspective it is that the very nature of veganism is compassion and mm. that compassion must start with ourselves mm-hmm. and the kindness and the gentleness and the acceptance and, and being honest with yourself mm. of where mm-hmm. you are with it you know because as yeah. you said the label can be very heavy and mm. there can be huge pressures and that mm-hmm. w- what might if influencers have so much spotlight on them and so much people looking at them mm. if they're wearing this label they might feel a huge pressure and often it might make them go the other way you know? but that is their own doing we must also remember that when you put yourself into the public forum with whether it's youtube or social media you must be prepared to accept criticism and to be shot down so when people go oh i wasn't expecting the backlash I'm sorry, but if you're going to put yourself and your life into the public sphere, if people are going to criticize you and attack you, don't be surprised, you know, get a thick skin or get out of the kitchen. You know, ultimately, if you want a job of being an influencer and influencing the minds of potentially millions of people, be ready for what's going to come at you. You know, you're not going to please all of the people. But from my perspective, as long as you're doing what is in alignment with what you believe is good and true to your heart, you know, you've got to just keep keep at it you know and that's ultimately all we can do we're not we're not perfect beings and we do our best coming to the end now if i stuck you both on a desert island unfortunately each of you would be separate on your own desert island there might be you might build a bridge in between you but (laughs) you had your desert island and all you could take with you was one vegan dish a book and a music album what would you take you you first one vegan dish well i'd hope there was mango trees and um, black mission fig trees Mm. on that island and then I'd be grand. Amazing. I wouldn't need a dish. Like literally, uh, those would be my two favorite Fruit. foods, I would say. And what book? In terms of a book, um, it would be a way off between Be Here Now by Ram Das mm. or Awareness at the mm. moment mm-hmm. by, um, what's his name? Anthony DeMello or mm-hmm. Eckhart Tolle, mm. uh, A New World, mm-hmm. A New Earth or whatever that one. Those three I really enjoy. And a, and ma- a music it? album. Oh, I'm happy listening to the sea. Mm. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Sound of nature. Yeah, very good. Um, if, if I was to choose a dish, I'd probably take a 25 kilo sack of oats with me. Like wow. a good Irish person, I think mm. um, oats fuel the Irish economy. <laughs> um, no, I, I think porridge is it's very symbolic mm. to me and very kind of nurturing and mm. very homely and reminds me of that comfort food. So mm-hmm. I think a bowl of porridge would be a 25 kilo sack of mm. oats if I could take that with me. Well, you have that unlimited. That's all you, yeah, that's all you, yeah, that'd yeah. be great. Uh, I'd be air dropping it in. When you're <laughs> thanks, thanks, Rob. You really appreciate it. Uh, then in terms of your book. book. Wow, okay. Um, um, I'm going to go with Small is Beautiful by E.F. Schumacher, which mm-hmm. is kind of an economics book. It's mm-hmm. probably not relevant to a desert island, but... Um, <laughs> Keep you busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> Maybe I'll go with it. Because you'd be sufficiently bored to read it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, maybe I'll go with some more, but that's sense. Okay, I'll go with a meditation book. Okay, I'm going to go with a meditation book. I'll go with something like Vipassana by uh, Goenka. Well, it's, ultimately, you're going to be sitting there on your own. Yeah. So ultimately, no, you're going to have to face your own demons. Mm. So I'm going to take some sort of a spiritual book mm. with me. And your music? Uh, music, I'd probably go with what David said. Maybe I'll go with, uh, it was I listened to this morning that I thought was beautiful. Sinead O'Connor, I think mm. some of her stuff is very, very Good beautiful. Good choice. So i go with something like that. 
David Simpson, thank you so much for joining us on the PBN Robbie podcast. Baby, it's, it's been a, a pleasure. Absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you. PBN for the win. Woo woo! Go Robbie! Vegetables. Anyone who's last this long, thank you for listening. Go forth and eat your veg. Bye. <laughs> oh, before I let you guys go, how can people follow you and find you and uh, follow oh, your journey? There's this thing called the internet. <laughs> if you type in happy parents the internet, I'm sure you'll come across us on whatever you like to make. Here, come join us for a swim. You're more than welcome. Anytime we can have people join us, back, so come join us for a swim. It's nice. Instagram, so we know your comments, so that we can. Yeah. Respect. Amazing. Thank Thanks you so listening. much. My pleasure. See you guys. <laughs>